Well, as they say, that's a tough act to follow. <laughs> and you guys are so lucky. Basically, you're getting two sermons today for the price of one. That was beautiful. I just want to tell you, you know, Opal and I have been on missions trips together, and I've been to multiple countries, and I just want to say, I mean, the, the Christian life's a beautiful life, and there's a sweet blessing of being in fellowship, but there's some things that you're going to experience in the mission field that you just don't experience. <laughs> at home you know there's just something beautiful and you just it's an and it's amazing to see christ working throughout the world in different cultures and languages and all that sort of thing so i just whew, awesome real quick i forgot something kids oh you may be released <laughs> oh yeah i'm sorry i didn't even see that all right reuben's ready for you back then i apologize now because i'm going long probably but anyway this morning I want to share a teaching with you called Slaying the Giant of Anxiety. And we live in a culture today that's just eaten up with anxiety and worry and concern. I mean, I watch the news and, and you know what, any of you young guys in here, teenagers, young adults, your age group right now, the statistics on anxiety and worry are just going out the roof. Suicide, teen suicide is cray cray right now, it's just crazy. But this is a word not just for your parents or your, the grown-ups. This is, a, this is a word for you young guys too, man, because you've got to figure out how do, I, how do I fight back that dragon of anxiety that can come upon you and, 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 and really challenge your faith. And uh, as Paul wraps up the book of Philippians in chapter 4, his exhortation there is really to maintain spiritual stability. Anxiety brings instability in your walk with the Lord. And, and so we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, and I just thought we'd uh, launch here by, if you have your Bible with you, and I actually don't think I have all this on the screen, so if you don't have a Bible, just follow along. But I want to read from verse 4 into the verse I want to teach today. Philippians 4.4. 4. And Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice you know, let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't forget that. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so, Father, I just want to begin by saying, Lord, I, I don't know if there's someone here that needed a word today about uh, anxiety and just, just almost paralyzing fear or worry that they might be going through today, but Lord, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would minister to their heart, that these simple truths that we're going to convey from your word, Lord, would be a blessing, a medicine, a salve on, on, a, on a, perhaps a deep spiritual wound of anxiety and worry, Lord, that we can live in the peace that passes all understanding. That's your desire, Lord. And I pray that we would be reminded that that's available to us through the beautiful work of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray these things. Amen. There's just a big movie came out, you know, the Jesus Movement. Some of you may have gone and seen it. Uh, sort of about, part of it's about a pastor named Chuck Smith, I'm sort of under his umbrella of, of ministry through the years. And uh, he had a saying, it said, Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. And I'll tell you what, worry wants to paralyze you and stiffen you. But man, trusting in the Lord gives you that flexibility because you know what? The life, life is going to come at you, whether you're a believer or not. And boom, what are you going to do when you get hit, blindsided by something you did not see coming? And so, and what is spiritual stability? It's the ability to absorb the blows of life and move on, okay? And for a true follower of Christ, there's few things that can upset our spiritual stability more than uh, anxiety or worry. I would equate, the, equate those as almost the same thing, worry, anxiety. But I'm really talking about, I'm not talking about, I'm worried about getting a good parking place at Costco. Not worried. Uh, I'm worried about the diagnosis that my family, that's, I'm worried about severe Worry and anxiety, things that cause you not to be able to eat, things that almost put you in the fetal position of fear and worry, right? This is what, the Lord doesn't have this for us. And so we want to be looking at things that way. 
And for a true follower of Christ, there's few things that can upset us more. So um, we've already read our passage. Well, we come to a topic Paul speaks on that we're all too familiar with, this worry and anxiety. It's been said that worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it just don't get you nowhere. Right? You can worry and worry and worry, but it doesn't accomplish anything. I think we've all been guilty of worry. Probably some of you right now may be dealing with some, and I mean a serious anxiety or worry. And, and maybe I, I just don't know what to do with that. Right? Worry can cripple a life or strangle your faith. The National Institute of Mental Health states that anxiety-related disorders are the most frequently reported mental condition in our country. I don't know how many people must be on anti-anxiety medicine. And for my entire adult life, all I heard about was Xanax, and I don't even know what the names of them are because I never needed them. Thank you, Lord. But you know what it's like. These are huge numbers of people on, on medications. 40 million Americans spend the better part of every day worried and anxious. And that, that's a slightly old statistic. I can only imagine what it might be today. 40 million. That 40 million number was double what it was a decade before that. I think we're just in a doubling phase, right? But what do people worry about? Well, big picture things, inflation, the economy, nuclear threats, terrorism, crime, drugs, the direction of our nation, you know. Uh, uh, but closer to home, we're going to worry about things like our, our family, our income, our job security, debt, COVID. Well, thank good that's pretty much behind us now. You know, sometimes you hear the expression, sick with worry. And you know, that's true. Chronic worry causes all sorts of physical and emotional problems. The Mayo Clinic concluded anxiety affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system. Anxiety and worry have been part of the emotional landscape, though, of God's people from the very beginning and still to this day. Nothing's changed. And the correct response has been to trust in the Lord and to go to Him in prayer. So this morning our study is focused on verses 6 and 7 of Philippians 4. And, and so we're going to be talking about slaying this giant of anxiety. And he gives us an effective recipe for doing just that. In our first slide, we're going to break up our study this way. We're going to look at the problem, the prescription, and the promise that we find in this passage. And so if you like to fill in the blanks on your bulletins, the first thing we're going to look at, the problem is worry. Okay, in verse 6, the first part of verse 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything. Uh, the NASB says, Be anxious for nothing. You know, Paul begins with a command to do something. In other words, do not be anxious. This phrase is in the present imperative mood, meaning it speaks of continual action. Now, you could translate it thus this way. Do not be anxious about anything ever. Paul loved to use these huge... I was a scientist for most of my life, and we had one little saying that said, never say never and never say always. Paul didn't care about that. Paul says... Never worry about anything. He talked about contentment. I've learned to be content in every and every situation. I mean, he wasn't afraid because that's how powerful his God was. He believed God could put him in these places. Now, standing there by itself, <clears throat> don't worry about anything. That, that just sounds simply impossible. That, that's preposterous. And you know what? It is. What are we supposed to do? You know, don't worry be happy. Yeah, how did that? You're sort of like, just say no to drugs. How did that work 40 years ago? It's impossible in our own strength, our own power. It is. It's utterly impossible to just erase worry and anxiety from your life in your own strength. You cannot do it. But look at the five words that preceded verse 6. It says, the Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. Therefore, do not be anxious about anything. Right? First of all, knowing that Christ is close, that puts what seems impossible in the flesh, reachable, into a whole new light. Paul's reminding us that in the Spirit, Christ is always with us. He's always at hand. He's always a quick prayer away. What did Jesus tell us as he, before he left? He said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. He said that to the disciples the day before he died. Don't you suppose they were a little worried about that plan? But what did he say? Don't worry. I'm with you always. And so now back to Paul's command to not be anxious. Paul doesn't mean that we're to ignore serious matters. We're, we're not to ignore providing or caring for our families. We're to be wise, prudent, careful in life. 
But clearly Paul is pointing to this idea. We are to have such confidence in God as we face daily life that our minds can be freed from the chains of anxiety. Do you have confidence in this God you pray to? And when this is the case, we can live in daily dependence on Him and keep our hearts and minds calm. So, I, I, so having confidence in God gives you the freedom to just be dependent on Him for life's crises that come along. You can be literally sick with worry. Paul's answer is blunt. Have no anxiety about anything. Your life is in the hands of a great and mighty God. The entire word of God's a constant exhortation to believers to stop worrying and begin trusting. And further, anxiety is everywhere forbidden to followers of Jesus Christ. And I think it's one of our most serious failures as Christians is to face the problem of chronic anxiety and worry looking at it as a sin. You go, whoa, it's a sin to worry or be anxious? Well, I said chronic. I'm talking about debilitating. I'm talking about, you know, in the fetal position, worry and anxiety. That's a sin. Why? It's a failure to trust in God, to believe His Word, and to rely on his sovereign power and control in your life. When you're eaten up with worry, you don't have confidence in God's power to deal with your problem. It's a weakness of faith. Look at the definition of anxious on the next slide we have. Worried or afraid, especially about something that's going to happen or might happen. Producing feelings of fear, uncertainty, of nervousness. Does that sound like something from God for us? Are we supposed to dwell in a place like that? Anxiety is not of the Lord. When you are controlled by worry, fear, and anxiousness, you are completely away from God, and that's sin. And you know what? But thank goodness for the cross, because you can admit that to the Lord. Lord, I confess. I've been so focused on my worry and anxiety, I've forgotten even to pray to you about it, Lord. I confess that. Please forgive me for that, and help me to walk in trusting you. So it's a sin, but... For the cross and the blood, we get to confess our sins and we're forgiven. God is faithful and just to do that. I was recently reading a piece by a Christian commentator about the explosion of anxiety in our society today, the secular society. And as he looked at unbelievers in the world, he wrote this. I think I have that for you up here. Anxiety lives in the psychological space where the consciousness of God is absent. Think about that for a minute. Anxiety lives in the psychological space in us. You ever heard the thing about the God-shaped hole in your heart? God ain't there. It's where anxiety is going to go hang out, right? Where the consciousness of God is absent. What a great diagnosis of this anxiety in our society today, is it not? And how obvious anxiety should not be typical of a true Christ follower. Let's flip that around. Leave it up there, please. But for a born-again follower of Jesus Christ, there is no psychological space for anxiety because we filled it with the presence of God. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit fills that space. There's no, there's no way for Satan to pour anxiety into that space. It's bulging with faith. It's bulging with Christ. It's bulging with the power of the Holy Spirit. And what, what areas of potential anxiety does Paul's command cover? He says everything. Don't be anxious about anything. I think we often have areas of our lives where we become anxious because we somehow think, well, God doesn't work in that part of my daily life or whatever. You know, like work, maybe our finances, uh, business decisions, medical decisions. Doctors decide that, right? I mean, but Paul tells us there isn't anything we're free to be anxious or worried about. Nothing, not anything. We're not to be anxious about big things, important things, but rather no thing. Nothing. <laughs> we're not to be anxious about anything. Okay? And where did Paul get this idea? Did he just dream it up? No, no way. Many say that Paul's basically giving us his commentary on Jesus Christ's teaching on worry in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you can turn with me there, uh, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at Jesus and what he has to say to us about anxiety and worry. And if you didn't, don't have a Bible with you or whatever, we are going to have these passages up on the screen. Matthew 6.25, the first verse. 
Therefore, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking. I always do this red letter edition, you know, PowerPoint. Okay. <laughs> These are Jesus' words. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. That is a command. And is the sin not when we break a commandment of God? Is that sin? So that's, that's my, you know, Jesus is saying, hey, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food in the body, more than clothing. Well, okay, Jesus, the premise is simple enough. We, we get that, okay. Now he gives us an example. He says, look at the birds of the air, verse 26. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? This is a common rhetorical way Jesus taught from the lesser to the greater. He's giving us birds. Don't you think you're a little higher up than birds? Yeah, he, a bird is his creation, but only we are created in his image. True? No bird has ever been adopted into the family of God. Jesus never told any birds, behold, I go to prepare a nest for you but he went to prepare a house for us, a room for us. No, we are his children, yet we worry if God will sustain us. Isn't that, when we think about it, if the birds can chill, so can you. We can be free from worry in Christ. Verse 27, this is really the key thing. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Boom! All anxiety and worry you can muster, just bring it all. All you can't do one positive thing to improve your situation. I mean, I just heard it said, I, I, I think it's true, 98% of what we worry about, we have no control over. He does. But you're going to sit down, dwell in this black cloud of anxiety and worry, not realizing that you can't, it's accomplishing nothing. Verse 28 going on. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, he will not much more clothe you. Will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Oh, I don't like being in those places where Jesus can say to me, O you of little faith. Christ nails it. Anxiety is a faith issue. When it gets right down to it, he attributes our anxiety, anxiety to weakness in our faith. And when we worry, this is true, we are putting more faith in the power of our problems than in the power of the promises of God. Let me say that again. When we worry, we are putting more faith in the power of our problems than in the, our, than in the power of the promises of God. And Jesus Begins closing it up in verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious. I, I mean, maybe it's almost, I don't know. I wish I was there so much to be for there. Maybe, but he's doing this. Oh, please, children, don't be anxious. Almost pleading with you, don't be anxious. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear for the Gentiles? Unbelievers seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So worry and anxiety plague the world of unbelievers. It shouldn't be plaguing the body of Christ. Finally, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. All the stuff you want to worry about, God has it under control. All the things of life, covered. You have enough. God knows exactly what you need. Paul teach, Paul's teaching is, is absolutely in line with the words of Jesus Christ. you agree? Well, 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 you say this is all very well to say, don't worry. Uh, how do you stop it? Someone wrote this, I love it. I've joined the new Don't Worry Club and now I hold my breath. I'm so scared I'm going to worry, I'm worried half to death. <laughs> you, you can't control it just by the exercise of willpower alone. Did you know we get our English word from worry from a German word called wegen, and it means to choke or, or, or to strangle, right? Um, and, 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 and that's what worry does. It strangles our faith. It causes us to look at our circumstances instead of looking to God. And I've heard worry described as taking your own two hands and putting them around your own neck and choking yourself. And man, that's what worry can feel like. So the problem is worry. I think I've made my point. Number two, the prescription is prayer. The prescription is prayer. 
So Paul basically says, take your hands from your throat and bring them together in front of you and go before the Lord with whatever it is you're fighting and dealing with. And he says this, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The answer to worry in life is prayer and action. All problems are the same size to God, by the way. Small. He can deal with your greatest crisis with his feet up. You can sit back there and not a problem, right? Yet when trials come, is prayer our first thought? Often not. We're, we're overwhelmed by the moment, the news, the, the new info. Usually by the time we finally resort to prayer, we're saying something like, well, I've done everything I could think of. I guess all I can do now is pray. What? <laughs> You've done all of that and now you're praying? Let's move prayer to the front of that line. Amen? Do you get that? The antidote to worry is prayer. F.B. Meyer said this, the greatest tragedy in life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. Paul here uses three different terms in reference to prayer. He speaks of prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. Let's look at the Greek word for prayer here. It's the most general term used for prayer in, in, in Greek. It implies adoration, devotion, and worship. It's sort of worshipful prayer. How does the Lord's prayer begin? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom. That's, that's glorifying God. And he says, you begin with that. You've just, hit with, you've just gotten hit with a diagnosis. God, I'm so glad. I'm a follower of the creator of the universe. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You are amazing. You love us as your children. That's how you confront terrible news. That's how you begin. It's this, this worshipful prayer. It's how Christ taught us to begin to pray in the Lord's Prayer, right? It gets us into the proper mindset to go before the Lord. He's telling us we inoculate ourselves against anxiety through the overarching Christian discipline of prayer to a mighty and powerful sovereign God. You're about to ask him to do something. Who are you asking? The God of the universe is who you're asking. Go a step forward in confidence, right? One old church father said it this way, worry and prayer are more opposite to one another than fire and water. Worry and prayer. When we go into prayer, worry should just fade, right? The second word Paul uses, so we, we, we begin with this worshipful, glorifying prayer. Then he says supplication. And everything by prayer and supplication. Okay, it's the Greek word desis. It's an idea of petition. It means a plea with earnest passion. You know, oh yeah, if you could heal my uncle of this or that. No, 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 no. Lord, God, I come to you, Lord. You have the power, Jehovah Rapha, our God who heals. I come before you in your name, Lord, to touch the life of this precious person. I mean, that's, that's what a, a supplication, a petition is. It's the part of prayer. It's very specific. I like to call it, it's a surgical strike. It's not a prayer from 60,000 feet. It's like, boom, looking at one simple thing. Lord, we need this. You guys in Tanzania know what those prayers are like. You know, you know how to do surgical prayers, Lord. We need this. And it's amazing. I've seen God answer those surgical prayers so many times that coincidence isn't a word in my vocabulary anymore, right? Those thoughts, these are, these are the, the prayers I, I, dire, I direct my heart to, to a very specific thing. I plead with God passionately. See, see our, pa I just, I don't know, our passion shouldn't be about, our, we shouldn't be putting our passion into a worry. We should be putting our passion into what we're giving to the Lord, right? That's where our passion needs to be. Oh, you can be a very passionate worrier, <laughs> you know, but that's a, no, put that passion into taking these petitions before the Lord. God wants us to be earnest in our asking it's the way Jesus prayed in the garden with, with tears, even of blood. In Hebrews 5, 7, I have it for you here. It says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. There's that word again. He was asking his father for specific things with loud cries and tears. That's the passion to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. <clears throat> reverence, who was he praying to? The almighty God of the universe, right? So that idea again of having identified who it is you're praying to. So supplication isn't a matter of only physical effort, but of spiritual intensity. 
Paul often referred to striving or struggling in prayer for others, for the churches he had now left. And he sends, writes them back a letter, man, I, I, I labor in prayer for you that you're still walking with the Lord and that sort of thing. God listens to such desis-type, supplication-type prayers. In 1 Peter 3.12 we read, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. And the word there is desis, that deep, supplication-focused, surgical strike praying. And so God wants us to come to him with our worshipful prayer, our pleas, our cries. And thirdly, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. I think it's a little counterintuitive, not likely our first thought. But what Paul is saying, our prayers and supplications are to be served up to the Lord on a platter of thanksgiving. So we're to, we're, we're to pray and supplication says with thanksgiving on a, on a platter. I think of it as on a platter underlying thanksgiving. It's an important part of prayer when seeking victory over anxiety and worry. You see, thanksgiving changes our perspective. It gets our eyes off ourselves and onto a God who has done great things in our life. It takes the weight off our shoulders and transfers it to Christ who is faithful. So the next time you find yourself having been hit with difficult news, stop the worry mode and go into the thanksgiving mode. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for saving me when I was dead to the things of God. Thank you, Lord, for getting me through lean times. Not sure how we'd pay the bills, but somehow the money was there. Thank him for when he sustained you spiritually and protected you physically and healed your diseases. Thank him for the jobs, the food, the friends you've had when none of that was promised or do you has God been faithful yes that's who you're going to now with whatever this is that guy okay that faithful guy gratitude's an attitude that you can cultivate in your prayer prayer life and as you recall God's faithfulness over the years all of a sudden your problems will be shrinking and you'll begin to perceive worry for what it is sin doubting a powerful sovereign God as God was faithful in the past nothing will change in the present or future I can tell you that one night Opal was uh, diagnosed with leukemia very late stage God put this verse before us in the emergency room um, because the first thing I did I walked in that hospital and they told us what they had found out. I had, it was a thin Bible like this, it was a living Bible, so I'm going to share what was in the living Bible that night, but does God give you what you need in the moment? Well, I just want to give you an example. Anyway, this, this verse, Psalm 42.11, and all I say is this is how it's written in the living Bible. I literally open my Bible to the Psalms, that's my go-to. When crisis hits, just, David has something. But it said this, and here's what I saw that night. But, oh, my soul, don't be discouraged. Don't be upset. And what I saw was those words in all caps, and they're in all caps in the Living Bible. All I opened that page, I saw, expect God to act. Yeah, that's where we are right now. I need, I need that, something to happen. For I know that I shall again have plenty of reason to praise him for all that he will do. For all that he will do. Is that forward-looking? Is that trusting? He is my help. He is my God. So I'm, I'm just going to go back and sort of take this apart. So it begins with, but oh my soul, don't be discouraged, don't be upset. That, that, that's excluding anxiety at the get-go. Soul, no, don't go there. No. Don't be, don't be discouraged. Don't be upset. So, so we've got to begin fighting anxiety at the get-go. Expect God to act. Now, that's being confident in God. That's a bold statement. Go into a crisis. I'm expecting you, Lord. I'm expecting you because of what the Word of God has taught me and what my life has taught me about you. I'm expecting that you are going to act in, in this situation. For I know that I shall again but what's that? I gratefully remember what you've done before because if I'm remembering again, that means I had it, I'd, I'd seen this before. I've been there before. For I know that I shall again have plenty of reason to praise him for all that he will do. Not all that I hope he does. No, 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 no. All that he will do. I am dependent on God as I move ahead. Dependent on God. He's my help and he is my God. 
I'll tell you what, that, that passage has dispelled much, much anxiety and worry in, in Opal's and my, my life. Praying with a thankful heart guards against a whining, complaining spirit before God. When we let our requests be known to him, we can really be anxious for nothing and pray about everything and be for, thankful for whatever the outcome. Colossians 13, 17 says this, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through all. That thankful heart is powerful. And finally, Paul says, let us, let us know, let your requests be made known to God. Let your requests, your thankful prayers and supplications be made known to God. Not your demands, your requests. Your requests. He will answer them according to his will, not your demands, for he knows what's best. He knows the best outcome. We think what the best outcome ought to be, and it's okay to pray that, but you don't demand that. Forget the TV evangelist telling you to name it and claim it or blab it and grab it. God does not owe us health and wealth. Okay? That's tragic theological error. We can demand nothing from God. We ask of God. I love this quote from John Stott, a great theologian of the last century. Prayer is not a convenient device for imposing our will on God or bending His will to ours but the prescribed way of subordinating our will to His. You make requests of God, and then you trust that He is going to do the best for you. Okay? It's how Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, did He not? Not my will, but Your will be done, Lord. Peter put it clearly in 1 Peter 5 and verse 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, casting all your anxieties on Him, because he cares for you. In prayer, we're able to cast our anxieties upon Christ. He can easily bear them. He can easily bear them. Quick recap here. Paul's teaching us that the moment we're tempted with anxiety, we are to go to God in prayer, worshipful prayer, specific petitioning prayer, prayer from a thankful heart, and prayer that asks or requests but never demands. If the problem is worry and the prescription is prayer, then the promise must be awesome. Number three, verse seven, the promise is peace. The promise is peace. And verse seven says this, I love it. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Oh, let me read that again. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, amen, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, think about this verse 6, which we've been studying up to this moment, is all our part. Paul's telling us what to do, what not to do, how to do it, when to do it. Verse 7, that's all Jesus' part. We now are the recipients of that. It's his miracle to us. It's, it's his covering. It's his sense of peace over our lives. Note that Paul doesn't say a word about answers to our prayer, rather suggesting that regardless of the answer, the result is going to be peace when you go before the Lord in a proper spirit. You're going to have peace. Now then, God does answer all our prayers. Sometimes it's yes, other times no, other times not yet. I've got something better you don't even understand. But every prayer we speak is answered by our Father. And this is key. The issue here is not the answer, but our faithfulness to come to Him and offer our needs before Him. And it's in the doing of this that God promises His peace no matter the answer. I want to take, I'm going to do a quick little freebie here about a bit on peace in the Christian journey. Um, we, as Christ followers, we experience peace in two ways. Okay? And, and we experience peace with God, peace with God, and Paul here is speaking of the peace of God, okay? And the Bible teaches that prior to salvation, we're at enmity with God. We are. We're enemies of God, right? The unsaved say, oh, hey, I'm not at war with God. I don't even think about God. I don't care about God. I don't care what he's doing. That, my friend, is the definition of being at enmity with God, right? Okay? You see, God created every living person to have relationship with him, though. And God has gone to great lengths that we would do so. And so Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins in order to restore the possibility of relationship with Him in spite of our sin nature. The blood of Christ. 
the body and the blood of Christ. So to reject God's free gift of love through Jesus Christ is to be at enmity with God. However, Paul writes in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, thank you, Jesus, we have peace with God. We now are at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's, that's having peace with God. So always being at peace with God, that's a difference in life that we feel uh, after we get saved. We're finally at peace. A lot of people describe, man, I accepted Christ. as like this huge weight I felt lifted off of me. You know, the, the guilt and, and what have you that the Lord takes off of you, right? That's that peace because now we're at peace with our Creator God. And as Christians, we have peace with God, yet not experience the peace of God. And that's the point I wanted to make here right now. You can be a believer, yet overcome with worry and anxiety, because the peace of, of God is the result of walking by faith rather than sight. If we walk by our flesh, how we feel or what we see will succumb to worry. However, if we walk in the Spirit and place our trust in God daily, sometimes hourly, sometimes by the minute, Coming to Him in proper prayer, often we're going to experience His peace. The peace of God is also a recurring theme in Scripture. Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. In Colossians 3.15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Is worry God's design for us? No, that is. Peace, that's his desire for us. And Paul says it, the peace that surpasses all understanding. Is that not true? Have you ever tried to explain the peace you've had in a storm to people that don't know the Lord? It surpasses their understanding because it's spiritually discerned, right? Hard to describe to unbelievers. It's not human, it's divine what can happen in our hearts. And thank God that unlike human comfort that can only go so far, God's peace can penetrate and comfort us in our deepest trials. Jesus told his disciples at the Last Supper this, John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The Bible you hold in your hand is Christ's promise fulfilled the words in it will speak the peace of Christ into your life if you truly believe. Finally, John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. That's why you want to give me your problems. That's why you want to come to me in crisis. I've overcome all that stuff that seems like way over your head. And what's over your head, dude, is under my feet, so give it to me, okay? When the world threatens to overwhelm you, go to him. Our last thought is on the protective nature of God's peace. So the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, get this, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Will guard. That's what God's doing. He's guarding us from the, 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 the dangers of worry and anxiety. He wants to guard us from that. It's more, God's, the peace of Christ is more than comfort. It guards our hearts and minds. And the word guards, it's a military action, the placing of sentries who are on guard. This is something that the peace of God does for us. It's a peace that is on guard over our hearts and minds. I've got to tell this story. Many in our home group has heard it. Opal, when she had leukemia, she was on her second bone marrow transplant, I believe. And this was the one that, the first one, she was going to die if they did nothing else because it failed. The second one, you've killed all your bone marrow. If this doesn't work, you will die, okay? But, so, so she's there. She's in this weakened state in the hospital room. It's in one of these rooms. It's a positive pressure room. She's so prone to disease and sickness that they have it pressurized. So when a door opens, air only gushes out of that room, not into it from out there. And she's in her bed one night, and she told me this. She said, I was just laying there. I was weak. I'm so weak. And I'm, I think I, she may have been there watching TV or something, but she just had this sense that there was someone in the room with her. And in the periphery of her vision, she saw a man in white standing beside her. And the weirdest thing was, if she stood to look, to look, it was gone. But as soon as she looked away, there was this image in the periphery of her vision. And it was a man in white, and he was standing by her bed like this, looking at that door. 
And what it told her is that no evil is coming in this room. Rest and heal. Don't worry. I've got it covered. Okay? That's the most amazing story to me. God was on guard. God's peace surrounds us and protects us. It's a covering. Our heart is the seat of our emotions. Our mind is the seat of our thoughts. And God's peace stands guard continually over our hearts and minds, especially as we stay plugged in through the power of prayer. Anxiety, the absence of Christ's peace, attacks your heart and mind. Thus you can see why Satan wants to keep you anxious, right? Because it attacks your faith too. When troubling news comes and wants to rock our hearts and minds, we respond by going to the rock of ages for his protection. I had this cry, I'm not sure. I guess the Holy Spirit gave it to me just before I came up to preach. I think we were singing the last song, but I was thinking about the, how God has built your house on the rock. I had this crazy vision, I don't know why, of a polar bear on an ice floe. And, 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 and killer whales are beating on that ice floe and tipping it and trying to get him to slide off. In fact, and they'll even come in groups and wash a wave over that ice floe, trying to wash a seal off. And I said, that's what it's like to stand, not to stand on the solid rock. And, and anxiety is like those killer whales trying to shake that ice floe and try to shake you off into that who knows what. But man, build your house on the rock and you're going to be safe. You're going to be okay. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. You're not a polar bear on an ice floe, okay? You're standing on the rock of Gibraltar, man. Wrap up. John, if you want to slide up here, if you, I think we're okay on time. Life's going to give you its best shot. Boom. Just, just going to hit. It's going to stagger you. But your immediate response is very telling where you're at in your walk with the Lord. But in trials and troubling times, my go-to verse is good old Romans 8.28. And we know that some things, certain things, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose speaks to everything we pray about even the things we're inclined to worry about all things god's going to work it out somehow and i've seen that work out i said lord i don't know how you're going to do this somehow he does it i can't it's god. he's god that's right he does it added to good old verse 828 god spoke to me audibly for many years i never shared this with anything because i thought it was a word for me and i'm not trying to be a prophet i'm not the lord's mouthpiece i'm just a guy but he literally sat me up in my bed one night, one morning. I was just waking up, and it was like one of you was in the room right next to me in bed talking to me, and I heard God tell me this, and I have it for you up here. He said, don't worry about the future, for you are witnessing the unfolding of God's will right before your very eyes. I thought, well, maybe that's just for me, but I've shared that in small discipleship groups and accountability groups. They said, John, that's a powerful word. I don't think that's just for you. And um, the Lord knew I needed to know this at that time. Open, I'd been married for, seven, for about uh, six, uh, six or eight months. Little did I know in about a year she'd be struck down by leukemia. God gave me that word for the day I walked in that hospital room and opened the Bible and said, expect God to act. That's why he gave me that. I didn't know it at the time. I wrote it in my Bible. You can see it right here. I wrote it the moment it happened. September 17th, 2003. Boom. God spoke out loud to me. You know what I didn't know in the next 20 years? I'd be taking a giant step of faith and retire from science and go into ministry. I didn't know Opal was going to get leukemia. Uh, I didn't know we were going to move to Florida to take care of my parents and I'd walk them both to, to, to the gates of heaven. The Lord leads me to plant a church. Me? Seriously? A marine biologist? It's a beautiful church. It's still going strong today in Florida. I didn't know I would break my neck surfing and four years later do it again mountain biking. I'm worried about things coming threes. I, got, I walked away from two. God's awesome, but I didn't know that. I didn't know I'd get skin cancer and prostate cancer. I didn't know Opal was going to have a near-fatal, bleed-out brain hemorrhage in Austin. When we had come here for Christmas and the wedding of my daughter, and in every case I took Romans 8:28 to heart and believed completely, 
in that word the Lord gave me. I, I put those two together. They're like a puzzle piece. It's mine and Opal's life. Uh, Opal, 828 is our vaccine against anxiety. You may not like this analogy, but it was sort of on my mind the last six months. <laughs> this is one that works, though. Ah, that's all I'm going to say. Romans 828 is our vaccine against anxiety, and God's rhema word is our booster. And together they've protected us from the disease of anxiety and worry. And here Opal and I are still trusting God completely, living in complete trust. You know, Paul finishes this section in verse 9 and he says this. It's not up there. I, I just added this this morning. Okay, Holy Spirit, he said, bring it. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, is Paul speaking to this church, practice these things and the peace of God will be with you. Paul, the, the Paul says, don't just hear it. Don't just make a note. Do it. Practice these things I've shared with you this morning. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. And that's my message to all of you. And as you do, Jesus Christ promises you his supernatural peace. Jesus says it. I believe it. And that settles it. You slay the giant of anxiety when you pray to a sovereign and powerful God who you know loves you. It's exactly what I needed to take my heart in order to slay the giant of anxiety in my life. God's word assures me it will work for each of you as well. Let's pray. Father, I don't know if this is a word for someone today or an encouragement to someone in here today, but you put on my heart, Lord, to bring this message this morning and I've brought it, Lord, and I pray that the power of the simple truth that it bears would be a blessing and a pathway towards finding that peace that passes all understanding no matter how crazy life gets. That some of these simple thoughts, Lord, would be, just, would be building that rock that we are to build our life on, which is the promises and the work of Jesus Christ in our lives, Lord. Please minister to anybody in here today, Lord. Holy Spirit, settle on them even right now. And if they have been getting eaten up by worry, might this heal them like a sweet salve on a wound, Lord. Heal your people. We want to trust in you. In the beautiful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray these things. And in agreement, we all say, amen. Amen. Stand as we worship. Well, fear not, fear not, oh fear not, for the Lord is with you. Well, fear not, oh fear not, oh fear not, for the Lord is here. Fear not. Well, fear not, fear not, for the Lord is with you. Oh, fear not, oh, fear not, fear not, for the Lord is here. Set on every side, no place to run and hide. Don't fear, cause he is with you. So that you'll understand that by his own right hand, my God, the Lord will help you. The Lord said, just trust in me, take heart and see, oh little Israel. Your hand I'll take, and I will not forsake, so let those waters rise. Oh, fear not, fear not, fear not, for the Lord is with you. Oh, fear not, oh, fear not, oh, fear not, for the Lord is here. Oh, fear not, fear not, 
fear not, for the Lord is with you. Oh, fear not, oh, fear not, oh, fear not, for the Lord is here. 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 So don't be afraid. Oh, don't be afraid. Yeah, don't be dismayed. Oh, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Oh, fear not. Fear not. Fear not. For the Lord is with you. Oh, fear not. Oh, fear not. Fear not. For the Lord is here. Fear not. For the Lord is here. Oh, fear not. For the Lord is here. You can clap for that. The Lord is here. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, John. I'm just so thankful for the, the Lord using you to bring that word for us this morning. Uh, yeah, he is here. <laughs> why do we worry? Boy, I'm with you in all of those times of going, God, why am I worrying again? Right? Thank you, Lord. Well, I love you, church. Um, so glad for this morning. Um, if you guys, you can stick around for a little bit. If um, Come meet these guys. I don't know whether up here or back there. Um, come say hi. And uh, go in the Lord, church. I love you.